Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the Yard. Yet it be a very somber edition of the Maroon Friday Yard. Uh, a lot to talk about. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I've been kind of putting off recording this show because I wanted to get my mind around all this. I want to wrap my mind around kind of where we are, what happened, what it looks like moving forward. I wanted to talk to a few people. You know, and here's the thing. You know, I, I can sit here and uh, and offer a lot of uh, you know insight and explanations and that sort of stuff, and and make excuses for people. But I'm not going to do that. Well, one of the things that I shared with somebody earlier is that no matter what you say in times like these, you're wrong. <clears throat> Either you're too negative, you're too much of a Pollyanna or a sunshine pumper. So I'm just going to tell you how I feel, and you can decide what you want to call it. But um, we did not have a good experience in Hoover, Alabama. There's just no way around it. There's no way to sugarcoat that. There's no way to say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. No, it matters. It matters. And one of the things I'm going to say, and this might hurt some feelings, and that's okay too. You know, one of the things that I'm a big proponent of is, you know, hey, listen, you know, we don't attack our players. We don't attack our coaches. I'd like it if we didn't attack each other. But there is a relationship here between us and Mississippi State baseball. You know, we are expected to turn out. We're expected to fill stadiums. We're expected to wear the M over S. We're expected to uh, set attendance records. And, uh, and we do that. And there's got to be some payoff for that investment. And most of the time there is. You know, we are, we're an elite baseball program. We didn't play elite baseball this week. We're going to get into some of that shortly after the, uh, after the first break. But we're an elite program. And by being an elite program, there are elite expectations. And what we saw in Hoover was not Mississippi State baseball. There's a lot of pride in that logo. There's a lot of pride in that uniform. That's the same uniform. The Bruce Castoria and Mike Kelly and Frank Montgomery, Boo Ferris, Will Clark, Palmero, Huey Critz, Willie Mitchell, Buddy Meyer, all those guys wore that uniform. And so when you take the field with that M over S insignia on your hat, over your heart, you're not just representing yourself. And you're not just representing Mississippi State. You're representing the millions and millions and millions of Mississippi State fans out there. And I may be a little bit far-fetched there, but you know what I'm saying. And you're representing a very deep and rich baseball tradition. And the standards that were established for this program were not met this week. That's as honest and forthright as I can say it. There's an expectation for Mississippi State baseball 
We didn't meet it. I didn't go over there expecting us to win the tournament. I hope we'd win a game, maybe two, come on home, rest up for next weekend. Never in a million years did I expect us to get embarrassed the way we did. It is humiliating. Like all of you, I make an investment into all of this. Not just financially, but emotionally. And to be honest with you, the emotional investment is, uh, is a bigger deal than the financial investment. And that's not to say that that's uh, uns- unsupportive, you know. Um, you know, but those are the things you think about. It's like, you know, you get so fired up and you get so invested in this and you say, you know what, maybe this is the year. And then we get a reminder once again that, that maybe it's not. And it's difficult to deal with. We've had a few of those. As I shared on Matt Wyatt's show, you know, we're not we're, we're not going to miss being a top eight national seed because of the SEC tournament. He said, but Steve, no, no, no. It's never going to be about one weekend. I know some people want to make it about one weekend. You can't put too much emphasis on the SEC baseball tournament. You can't. You have to look at the full body of work. Our problem is it's not just one weekend. That's the thing. That's not the blemish on our record. It's just the SEC tournament, two abysmal showings out in Hoover, Alabama. It's the fact that we were swept by Arkansas unceremoniously. And you know what? We're a different baseball team today than we were then. And it's not just Arkansas. You know, we go on the road to Vanderbilt. We should have won the series. We didn't. As I share with you on that clinching game on Sunday, you know, we had them on the ropes, let them off the hook, and then we don't score a run the final seven innings of a ball game. I had a very uh, veteran college baseball insider share with me that they hadn't won too many ball games. They didn't score the final seven innings of a game. It just doesn't happen that way very often. And then you got the Missouri weekend, and I'm tired of talking about that. You know, and, and even our own players admitted that they were not mentally prepared to play Missouri. And that absolutely boggles my mind. When you have so much to play for that you can't get up to play. Now, here's what happens a lot of times, too, is a lot of guys say, hey, this is my weekend to put up some numbers. And I've talked to several former Diamond Dog baseball players that have said, you know what, we dealt with some of that, too. You know, you, you have a subpar opponent come in, you think, you know what, hey, I – you know, I got a chance to go hit a couple jacks here. I got a chance to you know, pound some baseballs out there and show the pro scouts what I can do. One of the things that I'll share with you about this team that is a little different than some of the teams that you've been used to, I, I, I go back to the 2019 team. You know, we had some really tough guys on that team. And we've got some good leaders on this team. We just don't have enough of them. But that 2019 team, you had some guys that, um, you know, pretty salty. You had some guys out there that, uh, you know, that did some things that, um, you know, had never been done. You had some people that did some things that, uh, that made Mississippi State baseball fans really proud. That's not to say we're not proud of this team. We are. Because it's our team. These are our guys. So, yeah, we're proud of them. Because they chose us. You know, we liked them enough to offer them a scholarship. They liked us enough to accept. So there is, there's a covenant there between us and them. You know, it's just not as simple as, okay, well, they're just guys on our team. I mean, you know, these are just part of our family. That's the way I look at it. But when I think about, you know, what is this team 
lacking. I go back and I think about that 19 team. You know, Rowdy Jordan was a young guy then. You know, he was, uh, he was doing what he was supposed to do. But, you know, Rowdy wasn't, wasn't the guy. He was a guy. And, and Rowdy's got some toughness to him. You know, there are times I think he takes some selfish swings. But, uh, you know, Rowdy's got a little dog in him, too. You know, T.A. was another one of those guys, too. You know, back in 18, those guys learned what it took to get to Omaha in 19 and did it again. It's hard to get to Omaha. It's hard to be a top eight national seed. And as you've seen, most years, most of the top eight don't make it to Omaha. You just never know what's going to happen in these regionals. You never know who's going to run in there and be an absolute buzzsaw that uh, nobody's expecting. You don't think the folks at LSU were surprised when Stony Brook came to their place and beat them at Alex Box Stadium to win a Super Regional and go to Omaha? Dustin Skelton was a guy struggled at times defensively early in his career, but you know what? That 19 team, he was a dog, man. Figured out the point of contact, started hitting some jacks. Was a very good defensive catcher. Not the best receiver, but he was a guy that got out there and competed very, very hard. You know, Josh Hatcher was on that team in kind of a limited role. Jordan Westberg was a dog. And, yeah, he made some errors, but the guy had some mental toughness about him. It's a guy that expected to win. This guy took a lot of pride in that Mississippi State uniform. You know, I get down to, you know, Peyton Plumley. I remember seeing Peyton Plumley and Elijah Magnamy at the movies. And it was after Peyton had served his suspension. He was ready to get back after it. And this is a young man that's had to overcome a lot of adversity. But, you know, I, I don't, you know, people remember the Elijah Magnamy home run and Jake Mangum going backside against Stanford. Uh, one of my most endearing memories of that weekend is Peyton Plumley getting out there and pitching his tail off. It's a winning pitcher in a ball game that sent us to Omaha. Gave up an early home run. Comes back, battles, 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 and wins a ball game. And I remember him walking off the mound after the greatest pitching performance of his career. And the standing ovation that he got from a very, very, very grateful Mississippi State fan base. It's a guy that had to go through a lot. And by his own admission, it's his fault. Then there was this kid that wore number 15. You remember him. About the toughest kid that's ever worn a uniform. Been a lot of them. Justin Foscue, another guy, a really, really tough guy. Really mentally tough guy. A guy that understood baseball, too. Got to understood, you know what, I just got to move the order along. If they're not going to give me something to hit, you know, I got to work counts and get on base. It's a guy that understood what it took. Jared Liebelt, a guy that probably most teams in the SEC wouldn't even recruit. Early in his career, I thought he'd never play here. But he worked hard, made himself into a very, very, very reliable reliever for us. And the guy had some toughness, man. He was a dog. He was. Still is. You know, Luke Hancock was on that team, kind of getting some things figured out. Cole Gordon was a guy, if you recall, in 2017, that uh, you know, transitioned from playing first base to be a pitcher because we were so desperate for pitchers and end up being a professional baseball player as a result of it. They've been double-A with the Mets right now. But Cole Gordon's a guy that had some toughness. I mean, you work on down the list, a lot of these guys that are on the team now were on that team then. They were young guys, so they got to see it up close and personal. 
You gonna think Elijah McNamee was a tough kid? Elijah McNamee enjoyed the college life, but I tell you what, that guy was big for us down the stretch. That was a guy that thought, you know what, Mississippi State can beat anybody in the country, and then we did. We did. You can say, you know what, Steve, I think that team was more talented. I don't know if that's the case or not. But it was a team that had a lot, a lot of leaders. It had a lot of guys that were united towards a common goal. Had a lot of guys that, you know, if you, you weren't just going to be able to go out there and show up and, and play your best baseball to beat them. You had to win the mental aspect of it. When times got tough and the crowds got loud, you had to find a way to power through it. And they did. And you know, it didn't work out the way we wanted to in Omaha, but, you know, quite frankly, you know, Vanderbilt was just too good that year. We just couldn't get over the hump there. Remember they beat us at one nothing ball game out there in Hoover. We should have won that ball game. But we take the national champions, the eventual national champions, to the brink and get beat one nothing. And if I remember correctly, we let a ball drop in left field that we shouldn't have allowed a run to score. And that's fresh off a 17-inning win over LSU, who is our daddy. But we won that ball game because we had toughness, because we just simply refused to lose. You know, we had a lead in that ball game, and we blew it. And we could have quit, but we didn't. There were other times we got down in the ball game, LSU goes up and takes a lead, and it should be over, but it's not. Because we had some toughness, we always thought we'd find a way to win. And sometimes with our current team, if we get down, it's almost like, oh, my gosh, here we go. It's like we're, we're, we're basically front runners. If we don't get a good start, we're in trouble. You can say, well, Steve, we got a handful of walk-off wins. That's true. That is true. But you ask yourself today when we got down a couple runs that you have that same pit in your stomach, that feeling in the pit of your stomach, I said, you know what? We're fixing to lose this ball game. You know, I was thinking back in 19, people forget, you know, we – we gave up to Big Jack to Miami. Peyton Plum, we did that too. Battle back. Put us in a position to win. You know, I don't know what needs to happen. I don't know if the 2019 team needs to set up a group FaceTime call with this bunch or not. You know, but for guys like T.A. and Rowdy Jordan and to a lesser extent Josh Hatcher, I mean, this is your watch. You know, Jake Mangum running out that tunnel every day to fire everybody up and get them in a the dugout and keep everybody motivated and focused and locked in. That just doesn't happen. Now, I could sit here and talk at length about, um, you know, about, you know, this group and all the things they've accomplished. And, you know, I could sit here and tell you, well, you know, guys, let's be, let's be honest with one another. You know, really outside of T.A. and Rowdy, we hadn't, anybody go, hadn't had anybody go play in Hoover. And we really hadn't. I mean, you run the numbers out there. I mean, Cam James, like, what did he play, eight games last year? He played in the SEC games till this year. He's been up and down in a little bit of a, a tough stretch right now. But, you know, he had a couple big hits against Alabama. He'll bounce back. But he hadn't played in the SEC tournament before. Lane Forsyth was going to prom this time last year. You know, Scotty DeBrule was at Jacksonville University. Luke Hancock has been through it mainly as a reserve. It's a different deal, though, when they're breaking down your film. You know, Braylon Skinner, Kellum Clark, they weren't even on the team last year. 
And so I can sit here and say, well, you know, those guys have never been through it. And you know what? All that's true. That's the case for a lot of players who didn't play last year or the year before. And so here's the deal with that is, and this is a lesson that we have learned uh, in spades this week. If you show up to the SEC baseball tournament and you are not committed to good play, you are going to get embarrassed. You know, we we had some good practices, and that's, that's probably true. But you know what? If you show up thinking you've got it made, you're going to get you're going to get your stuff shoved. That's how it works. You know, Florida comes into this week thinking, you know what? There's an opportunity for us to play our way into a hosting side. And I don't, I don't care what your friends told you. Heading into this week, Florida was on the on the outside looking in when it came to hosting. They were in discussion. Then of course, South Carolina loses and Florida wins. Now Florida's won again, and now Florida's played their way in. That's one of the reasons they threw Tommy Mace in game one. They beat Kentucky. Now, I don't know what they got left the rest of the weekend, but Florida's come up here and won three games. So now they're going to host. But they came to Hoover understanding we are not in a position now where we can rest on our laurels and expect to host a regional. So they showed up with something to prove. You know, Alabama shows up after a sweep of getting swept by Mississippi State thinking, you know what, we got to go up here and win two or three ball games. We're not going to make the tournament. They showed up, jumped on South Carolina, who also had a lot to play for. You know, South Carolina, a lot of people said, you know, looking at their RPI, their schedule, you know, they're in a good position to host. I mean, there's only going to be 16 of 20 that get to host. They're not going to pull somebody else out of the air at the last minute. And you look at what's happened around the around the, uh, the 20, you know, Pitt's falling apart. Charlotte now has fallen apart. All right, so that's two of your four that aren't going to go. South Carolina's still in the mix there to a lesser extent. Well, there will be a Conference USA host somewhere, probably between Tech and Southern Miss. They're playing as I record this. But my point being is that Alabama showed up with an edge and South Carolina probably thought, okay, we're okay. Probably okay. Now you're not okay. You're not okay. Maybe South Carolina hosts the regional and Old Dominion's the number one over there. Maybe NC State is. I don't know. You know, you get on the flip side of this thing, you look at Tennessee. You know, Tennessee comes in, you know, those guys have lost a couple big series. They're trying to legitimize themselves. They're trying to ensure they stay in the top eight national seed discussion, just like Mississippi State. They absolutely spanked us. Look at the other side of that bracket. You know, look at Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss is a lock to host. And I think they're, they're, try, they're trying to play their way into the top eight national discussion. I don't think it's going to happen. But I admire the fact that Bianco's got his team playing well. They're playing better baseball than us right now. I don't care who you cheer for on uh, Thanksgiving night. I think anybody with a brain and, and even it's an ounce of objectivity would tell you Ole Miss is playing better baseball than us. And, yeah, we beat them. And that's the thing you look at, too, and say, well, you know, they're thinking, well, if we can catch Mississippi State. Well, you know, at the end of the day, they say, you know what, guys, that's true. But, you know, all things being equal, Mississippi State beat you two out of three. And so if all things are being equal, we've got to pick Mississippi State. But I admire the fact they're out there playing hard. You know, Arkansas has never won the SEC baseball tournament. Did you know that? I had an Arkansas insider tell me today, 
that one of the things that Dave Horn had said privately to some other people, so of course I'm getting this, I guess, third hand, is that he wanted to win the SEC tournament, that he felt he had the best team in the country. They wanted to win the SEC regular season championship, wanted to win the SEC tournament championship, and wanted to win an AFL championship. They wanted this to be a dominant year for them, so they didn't, they didn't show up to Hoover thinking, well, let's just kind of go through the motions and get our pitching rotation set for next weekend. They are in Hoover to win. That's a plan. And so if you show up there and you're just kind of hoping for the best, well, let's just go play a little baseball. You're going to get embarrassed, and that's exactly what happened to Mississippi State. We're going to break it down a little bit for you here today. I'm not here to pour salt in the wounds. But I think a valuable lesson was learned. And it's one of those things, too, that has to happen, too. I mean, everything's kind of got to go right for you to win the SEC and win an AFL championship. you got to have a little luck. you also got to have a veteran team more times than not that understand the intensity required to win tournament baseball. You know, what's going to happen next weekend, you know, when we have to go throw a young guy, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Southern shows up here. Southern University is our four. You know, maybe you go out there, maybe you throw Cade Smith. But what's going to happen when you try to guy out there, you know, and there's 13,000 people out there, and this is an NCAA tournament game. You know, this isn't Southern on a Tuesday night, uh, you know, where it's the uh, Stranger Things, you know, themed non-conference game. This is the NCAA college baseball tournament. We've got to have some toughness. We can't go out there and try, you know, Will Bednar out there against Southern. We're going to have to try to get a win somebody else pitching. Got to figure it out. We've got to piece it together. And hopefully Christian can pitch well and hopefully Will can pitch well. Because you know what? It's not as simple as winning a weekend. We've got to win at least three games. May have to win four. And so it's gut check time for Mississippi State. It really is. And, you know, we'd like to kind of explain away the Missouri weekend, but then all of a sudden you have something worse happen to you. Because we got embarrassed. You know, by some teams you look at and you say, you know what, hey, these teams are comparable in ability. Mississippi State finished ahead of Florida in the standings and tied with Tennessee. But on these two days in Hoover, we didn't look like we belonged in the same league. Maybe not even in the same division. It's embarrassing. I had some people message me and say, Steve, how was it in person? Well, how do you think it was? And people texting me during the ball game. What's going on? Well, you know, it didn't look any different from here. I mean, you know, you, we're all we're, the score is the same on TV and in person. You know, and a lot of times people just want somebody to tell them it's going to be okay. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's going to be okay because I don't know that. I don't know that it's going to be okay. I want it to be okay, but I don't know that. I want Mississippi State to win an AFL championship every year, every year, every year, every year. I always think, you know, well, we get the right draw in a tournament, we can do it. This guy gets hot or whatever. I can always talk myself into it. And I want it to be okay. But this kind of stuff is happening too frequently. Yeah, I mean, we haven't been embarrassed like this. But you understand what I'm saying. We've had some ball games where we have looked unprepared. And some people, you know, the, the first thing people say is, well, you know, the, the coach is this, coach is that. Let me tell you guys this. You know, listen, Chris Lamonis is a great coach. Chris Lamonis is going to win an AFL championship here. My hope is he wins multiple NAFL championships here. Chris knows exactly what he's doing. Do I agree with everything he does? I do not. But I believe in Chris Lamonis. But here's the thing, too. And maybe I'm built differently. Maybe if I'd had a little more ability to go with this strong will of mine, life may have been a little differently for me. 
But here's what I know from being a competitor, and it doesn't matter if, I'm a, if it's sports or in business or whatever. There is no way that I am ever going to lay down and let somebody beat on me. It is never going to happen. And that's the things I think about too. It's like, you know what, you, you get down in this ball game, I, I don't care. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's, if it's 11 to 1 or whatever. If I come up to bat, I'm going to do my best to get on base and extend the game. Because I believe i still got a chance until it's over. I also understand there's a lot of people out there dependent on me. But at the end of the day, it's not about what everybody else thinks about me or what everybody expects from me. It's what I expect from myself. That's where this gut check has got to come. So you know what? There's a lot of people that have played here before me. There are a lot of people that have contributed here before me. And there is a debt that I owe to those people. There is a debt to I owe to these fans come out and cheer for me. There's a debt I owe to my family for supporting me all these years and putting me in a position to play. But I don't care if we're playing basketball, baseball, or tiddlywinks. If you come play Steve Robertson, I ain't going to quit. You might beat me, but I ain't going to quit. And I'm going to have a bad attitude when I get beat, too. I can promise you that. And I'm a terrible loser, but I'm an even worse winner. And we got to find some of that. we got to find some dog in us. You know, it's one of the things that when I, when I coached high school baseball, and granted, we weren't, we weren't great. We weren't. I wanted to be, but we weren't. Didn't necessarily have the, uh, have the ingredients to cook up a feast. Yeah, but one of the things I instilled in my players is, you know what, we're never going to quit. Somebody might come out here and beat us, you know, 15 to nothing. We're not going to quit. We're not going to quit over the course of a ball game. We're not going to quit in over a season. We're not going to give up on an inning. We're not going to give up on a pitch. If somebody beats us, it's because they're better. It's not going to be because we beat ourselves. And certainly if somebody starts getting the better of us, we're not going to quit. I used to always tell my guys, don't be the last out. Do whatever you got to do. Get hit by a pitch, let down a bunt single, work a count, find a way to get on. Extend the game, get the next guy up. And then all of a sudden, then the mantle of responsibility shifts to him. But don't be the last out. That's one of the things I'm most proud of my own kid, man. And I don't want to be little league dad here, but I was coaching high school baseball and we were playing, oh, some team over in Livingston Parish, man. It was a bunch of country boys who were a lot better than us. And I told him, we get up there in the, uh, in the top of the seventh, He's getting ready to lead off, and I said, I don't care what you got to do, you get on base. We're probably going to lose this ball game unless we have one of the greatest comebacks in the history of the game. But you find a way to get on base. You find a way to extend the game. And he gets on first. Now, if I'm not mistaken, he got a single. Very first pitch, he's still second. And then he's out there dancing around, irritating the pitcher, and they're, throw, they're throwing back and everything else, and everybody in the stands is just kind of coasting, thinking, okay, this thing is over with. You know, we're getting beat seven, eight, nine runs. And all of a sudden, he becomes such a distraction, they walk the next guy. And we finally got out of the inning, but we didn't do anything. But valuable lessons learned there. It's, you know, I'm going to make them play. I'm going to make you beat me. I'm not going to lay down and just say, okay, well, the ball game's over. Nah. As long as there's time on the clock and as long as I got outs, I'm going to make you beat me. You're going to have to get every out to get me out of the ball game. And that's the sad thing about this one is you always say, you know, you got to beat us for 27 outs. We didn't even force them to do that. And that's what tears me apart, man. Is you know, I, I, like all of you, I take such pride in this Mississippi State baseball program. 
And I've seen some bad losses. There's no doubt about that. But what I saw from our team this last couple of days, very disturbing to me. Very disturbing because it's not Mississippi State baseball. All right, Bulldog Burger Company, we're rocking and rolling, man. Got some people that have reached out to me and said, you know what, Steve, I passed by the new place on Lake Harbor in Ridgeland, man. It is absolutely rocking. It's packed in there. That People wanting to get in there and experience all that. And I tell you what, the first thing we tell you to be patient with them, okay? A lot of these folks are new, okay? And so it's going to be some kinks got to be worked out. These people will do that. These are pros running this, these operations for Bulldog Burger Company. And Bulldog Burger Company is going to take over the world. I mean, you might as well get ready for that because if this thing goes well, don't rule out expansion somewhere else down the road. And when you find something that works, you stick with it, right? Great people, great food, great prices. And you've heard me talk about the portions. They're so incredibly filling. I don't think I've ever finished a Bulldog Burger Company meal. And that's saying a lot. You know, I'm 6'2", 215, 220 pounds, depending on what day you see me. So I can put away some groceries, but uh, the folks at Bulldog Burger Company always have me leaving something behind, and you will too. You'll bring it with you. Give it to the dogs. Two locations uh, in the Golden Triangle to serve you, Starkville University Drive and Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, brand new location, uh, Lake Harbor Drive there in Ridgeland. Go by, ask for the specials. Let them know that I sent you. They'll be glad you came in, and you'll be glad you went in. Great food, great food, no doubt about it. Great place to go break bread and have a nice evening with the family or even a good date night. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. I suppose we got to talk about them. I don't want to. I'm really more excited about the top ten list than I am uh, talking about this baseball stuff. And that's, if you know me, I love music. I love Mississippi State baseball. And having to sit here and talk about this stuff, we didn't do a good job, is difficult for me. But, uh, so let's, you know, let's talk about Brandon Smith's start. You know, of course, um, you know, what we're trying to do is find a third starter. You know, because we're, we're trying to get things lined up for next week. So we're going to have a four seed coming here, and everybody's got an ace, okay? So we're going to have to throw somebody. We don't want to throw our ace against a four seed. But you got to find somebody that's reliable. And so I think for many respects, you know, Wednesday was kind of a tryout. And so we're going to throw a few guys and see who we can depend on, and maybe those guys get a start first game in a regional. So we throw Brandon Smith. And listen – it was apparent pretty early they weren't going to give him that strike at the knees or at this below the knees and him being a sinker ball pitcher that is instrumental to his success and i'm not going to make excuses for him you got to adjust to the strike zone but i think it really limited his effectiveness because he wasn't able to throw that that pitch with some authority and get a called strike and so he had to elevate a little bit and they knocked him around some and that was evident, you know, in the very first inning with Cam Young. I mean, you get a 2-0 count, and then all of a sudden it's a 2-0 deal and you got to throw something, and he, you know, he rips a double in the left center. Then Hickey sees the next pitch, and he, he, he hits a single, and there's runners on the corners right out of the way, and we walk Judd Fabian. And it was really a pretty good battle there, too, even though we got behind in the count, got a 3-1 count, but we, uh, we worked it full there. And um, so now bases are loaded. And, and we were thinking, oh, my gosh, here we go. Here we go. It's fixing to be a blowout. Eventually was, but it wasn't because of this inning. We coax a pop-up to center, and Rowdy gets it. The runners hold. He was ready to throw. And then we get Kaleo swinging. So now you're thinking, okay, maybe we're going to get out of this thing unscathed. I mean, can we leave him loaded? And then we throw a wild pitch that allows a run to score. And even as bad as that was, we're able to get out of it. We get a ground out. And so you're thinking, okay, to get out of that deal, giving up just one, we'll be okay. 
Brennan, you got to calm down, settle in. We'll be all right. We, we made it through the rain. We'll be all right. Just go out there and throw strikes. So Rowdy then absolutely tattoos a baseball right to the shortstop. I mean, he barreled up the first pitch he saw. And then T.A. doubles in the right center. I'm thinking, you know what, we're seeing this guy pretty well. Even though he's a left-hander, we, you know, we're able to, to barrel a couple balls up. Maybe we'll be okay. And Logo Tanner's uh, out at first you know, and actually hit the ball pretty well. Beat it in the ground a little bit. But, you know, again, we're making good solid contact. And then Luke uh, rips a single to right field. And it's tie ball game. It's 1-1. And then Cam James grounds out to third. Pretty hard ground ball out there on the first pitch. But, you know, it's like he's not fooling anybody. We've tied the game up. We've put five balls in play. We've got to run the show for it. Now we're even again for eight innings. Let's see what happens. Pardon me, we got eight innings to play. And so we had survived that first inning, and it just kind of felt like that. To me, I felt like, okay, we're going to be fine. It's just a matter of time before we get to this guy. Two, two, hit, two hits in the first inning, we should be good. Well, Brandon gets ahead 0-2. And then we nibble a little bit. And, again, the zone's a little tight. And, again, I'm not going to sit here and blame officials because it's all about us, really. We give up a single to, to center. Then we get the fly out. Got behind in this count. Worked our way back. Get a fly out. We give up a single. Niners runners at first and second. Uh, or, excuse me, on the corners with just the one out. And then it's Cam Young again. Sack fly. Drives in a run. It's a 2-1 ball game. And then Hickey again, that's the thing about this Florida lineup, man. It's just you know, there's, there's not an out in the lineup. They're not going to get themselves out. Hickey singles through there. Now you got runners on the corners again. We walk Judd Fabian again. I guess maybe we didn't want him to hit a bomb. He's got 20 of them. Armstrong singles to right. And then you drive in two runs. It's a 4-1 ball game. And I think most of us at that point, when it got down 4-1, were thinking we're, we might be in trouble here. And it wasn't just the fact that they had four runs. It's just the fact that they were knocking us around a yard a little bit. So we, we kind of felt like Brandon Smith wasn't the answer. We go out there and we go one, two, three in a second. And uh, if there was any question about, uh, you know, Brandon, it was answered pretty quickly there in the third. Uh, Thompson hits a bomb and then Rivera singles. And so, again, a lot of hard contact here. You know, when Brandon's on his game – Brandon's getting ground balls because he gets a lot of sinking action on that fastball, and uh, he's really the sinker pitcher. So when he's giving up fly balls and line drives all over the place, it's just not going to be his night. So we pull him, bring in Cam Tuller. You know, and Cam's a guy, too, that has, uh, you know, used to come out there and throw strikes. He's had a couple of outings. that control has been a little bit of an issue. Walks the first guy he sees. Uh, we get a ground out here that moves the runners along. But we're thinking, okay, maybe we can get out of this thing. And then Cam Young, again, singles up the middle, drives in two runs. It's a 7-1 ball game. And at this point, the game was over. It's just a matter of what the final score was going to be. We do pitch to uh, Hickey again, and uh, he gets another single. It just seemed like those two guys, we couldn't get them out. We did get Fabian out, finally got him to foul out uh, there outside of third. And then Armstrong doubles and drives in two more runs, makes it a 9-1 ball game, and the route was on in the third. We go 1-2-3 there in the third, and, of course, uh, that's 9-1-2 and two for us. And there's a lot of this. There's a lot of this 1-2-3. We bring in Cade Smith, and if there was a bright spot on Wednesday, it was Cade Smith. And there was only one bright spot, 
and it was Cade Smith. I mean, it's like I, you know, I'm always trying to find: did we learn anything? Did we find a way to? You know, did, is there a guy that worked out of a slump? Or is there a guy that played better defensively? You know, there just wasn't much to feel good about. And the only thing I can offer you is the fact that Cade Smith put up a couple pretty good innings for us. Uh, he gets Rivera to pop up. He gets Acton to ground out and Gusetti to ground out. So it's a one-two-three inning. In the fourth, you think, okay, maybe we can hold the game where it is right now. Logan Tanner gets a single, and then there's a fielder's choice there. They force the runner at second. And uh, then Luke goes to second on a wild pitch, and then Cam gets on an error. As you're thinking, okay, we got runners at first, you know, get first and second here. Uh, we got a chance to do something. DeBrule, similar situation. Beats the ball on the ground, and they force a runner. Runners on the corners, and then Kellum Clark grounds out to second. So a little something here. They gave us a little bit, and we're putting the ball in play. We're not striking out, but we don't have anything to show for it. You know, that's the thing. This guy was kind of pitching the way we expect Brandon Smith to pitch. He's getting ground balls. They're making plays and forcing runners, and they're able to get outs when we put the ball in play. Uh, top of five, and again, Cade Smith still in the ball game. We get a ground out and a fly out. And then Tanner Leggett lets the ball go through him. And then Judd Fabian still second. And then Armstrong walks. But then we get a ground ball and we force him. So Cade Smith, two innings of hitless and scoreless relief. And if we're able to fill the routine ground ball there, it's back-to-back one, two, three innings for Cade Smith. So that's your only ray of sunshine in this deal, is that we put a guy out there in a very difficult situation against an NCAA tournament team, and he went out there and he, uh, he put up a couple zeros for us. And so, is he your starter in game one of the regional? Maybe so. I don't know. We'll see. We go one, two, three in the fifth. We bring in Sarantola in the sixth. And, again, this is again. I think all of this was basically a tryout. I really do. I think this is an audition to be that, that, that first game starter in the regional. Sarantola comes in. We get a fly out. And then we give up the single. We walk a guy on four pitches. We get a ground out. And, we, and that's another one, a count that ran full. And that was kind of the book on Eric is even though we didn't give up any runs, you know, we're working deep in the counts, making ourselves predictable. We do get the ground out there, but there's runners at second and third, and then he, he's able to get young swinging, but it was a lengthy at bat. And, again, we get down 2-0 in the count. We get a couple of fouls, work the count full, and then we, we didn't give in to him. To his credit, we didn't give in. We had a couple of fouls. We finally get him swinging. So Sarantola, again, gets out of that without giving up a run, but it was quite the adventure there. And so it's, he's just not reliable. And I'm not trying to be negative about Eric. I just don't think you can trust him. You know, he's had a couple of, uh, you know, non-conference appearances out of the bullpen when, you know, the game was kind of decided, and he did pretty well. This is a game that was already decided, too, against SEC competition, and we just couldn't find the zone. So you move on. You know, it's at this point the rehabilitation process is over. You know, we're just not going to be able to get it done. We bring in Casey Hunt, and uh, this just didn't this didn't work out. You know, and I think at this point we're just kind of mopping up. I think we had tried three different guys just to kind of see if we could trust them. And I think of the three, you know, Cade Smith was the best. Brandon Smith's usually reliable. I just think for some reason Brandon didn't have it. And, again, when he's not getting that low strike, he's a little more hittable. We bring in KC, and there's another field in there at third, and that's why Cam James started the day. Then Judd Fabian finally gets a base hit. 
runners are first and second. Then Armstrong singles, and bases are loaded. They get a fly out, so it's a sack fly. It's a 10-1 ball game. Thompson then doubles down the right field line, drives in two runs. Now it's a 12-1 ball game. Rivera singles. Another run scores. It's 13-1. You get another single, but the run doesn't score here. Uh, you know, thank the Lord for small favors. And then Guscati flies out. And so it's a 13-1 game, and we got to go out there and score <laughs> to avoid being 10-run ruled. Well, in case you didn't know, to use the narrator's voice, they didn't score. Uh, we go – we, we get a fly out, we get a strikeout. And, again, kind of this whole thing about kind of having a little dog in you. you know, Compass gets hit by the pitch. And then Braywin Skinner, Skinner comes in as a pinch hitter and then uh, singles back up the middle to extend it. You know, and, listen, Braywin's been all over the place. And Braywin hadn't seen a, lot of, seen a lot of SEC pitching. But, you know, there's something there. You can tell the kid has some dog in him, just like that crazy – you know, die for the plate that we had here a few, you know, a couple months ago now, the time that he uh, threw the guy out at home plate. I mean, so Braywin Skinner, I think, you know, you got to have some skill refinement with him, but he's clearly a guy that wants to win. He's clearly a guy that's willing to put himself on the line here. And, you know, I go back to that home run hit against LSU. I mean, you know, that, that, that set the tone for the whole weekend. So there's something to build from from there. I do think he is a tough guy. I really do. Pitch selection is uh, not good at times. His play coverage, not good at times. So there are some things mechanically you got to work out when it comes to hitting. But when I've got a guy that wants to win, a guy that's a competitor, those guys usually want to get better. So we lose the ball game 13-1 and uh, went into the, the, the game with Tennessee because of the fact they got upset by Alabama, thinking, okay, this is a battle between – two top eight national seeds in the loser's bracket, if you win it, it really solidifies your position. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year, managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup, putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with Smart Money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there. And just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. 
Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. And if you lose it, it, it wouldn't be as bad as losing Alabama, but uh, it certainly doesn't help, to say the least. All right, so let's talk about this ball game with Tennessee. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I went to bed on Tuesday night, I didn't feel good about it at all. I woke up Thursday morning. I, I said, you know, maybe we got a shot here. You know, maybe, maybe we got a shot. You know, we got Christian on the mound. He was really good against Alabama. Maybe we've got an opportunity here. Uh, you know, Tennessee, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of see how things go. Because not to mention, too, the emotional aspect of baseball. Tennessee thought they had that game against Alabama won, and then Scott Klein makes that call at second base that basically extends the game, and Alabama finds a way to win. So I was curious to see how Tennessee would respond. Now, Tennessee's a tough team. You know, Tony Vitello is a tough guy. Yeah, and so – I figured we would get their shot, but at the same time, too, Tennessee is a team that is not used to winning big in baseball. And so I wasn't exactly sure how they'd respond. And I don't know that they responded extremely well initially, but they proved over the course of this ballgame, once it gets you on the ropes, they'll finish you off. Uh, we go one, two, three, and there, there was some solid contact. But, you know, the, the three outs are a pop-up, a line out to first, and T.A. absolutely murdered at baseball, just right at the first baseman. And then Logan Tanner pops up. Logan's kind of dipping a little bit. He goes to these stretches, and I think him being in a three-hole has kind of complicated the, the game a little bit for him. He's seen a lot more breaking balls. And then Christian has a really good inning, too. We go one, two, three there, and you get a strikeout looking. The rest of those were very efficient. Uh, pitch to contact at bats with the defense work for you, and we did a good job behind him. Uh, top of the second, Luke grounds to the right side. And, you know, that's the thing, too. When you got a bunch of left-handers in there, there's going to be a lot of balls grounded to the right side. Cam James then singles off the pitcher. He hit an absolute laser that bounces off the pitcher and then rolls in the right field. And, again, he barreled one up. And so I'm thinking, okay, all right, we're going to be okay here. The Brule then, it's the fielder's choice. They force James at second. And then Kellum Clark flies out to left. Just got under it. Hit it out to the warning track there. But, um, you know, again, this guy wasn't missing many bats. And you think, okay, we're a good enough team. We'll get this thing going. We just got to kind of keep it close to the offense gets rolling. And then it all falls apart here in a second. And it's insane how quickly it all happened. We get a pop-up on the very first pitch. And when Christian's doing good, that's what you get because he is a fly ball machine. When he's on his game, you're getting these pop-ups. You're getting these routine fly balls. When – 
people are able to get on top of that fastball, then all of a sudden you're giving up line drives and long fly balls, and that's what happened here. We walked Russell, got behind in the count, we walk him, and then we hit the next kid. And now all of a sudden there's two men on with, uh, with less than two outs. But we get ahead of Beck. It's an 0-2 deal, and we get him to fly out. And so now you're thinking, okay, we're one pitch away from navigating through this trouble. Well, we didn't. Give up a three-run bomb to right center. Then give up a double and then a single. We get a pop to the shortstop. It's a 4 nothing ball game. And, it, and it, honestly, it felt like it was over. That's how it felt. Now, to Christian's credit, you know, he came and battled back the next inning. And, uh, you know, his offense tried to do some things to help him out here. Forsyth with a leadoff walk. You know, and we talk about this stuff all the time, you know, leadoff walks. It seems like when, when you get a leadoff walk, you know, the probability of scoring seems to go up exponentially. Skinner then, you know, we, we get a fielder's choice there. They, uh, they try to turn a double play, but Skinner's too fast. And, you know, first baseman grabs it um, and then throws, and they just can't get it, you know. But in um, rowdy singles, and uh, now we've got runners at first and second. We're thinking, okay, we got some things going on here. We get a wild pitch. Skinner takes third. Rowdy does stay home. And uh, what's crazy about that, too, is Skinner was actually a little bit indecisive there. They initially credited him with a stolen base. And I was like, what? How is that a stolen base? In order to be credited with a stolen base, he's got to be going with the pitch. He wasn't. And he got out there and got hemmed up, but he beat the rundown. So now you got runners on the corners. And then who is it, of course, Tanner Allen singles through and drives him in. It's a 4-1 ball game. And now you've got runners on the corners again. You're thinking, okay, we got a real good shot here. Logan Tanner strikes out swinging, and they hit Hancock by the pitch. And I don't have any update on his condition at this point. So now all of a sudden, bases are loaded. Cam James comes up, and it seems these situations always seem to find him. And that's just kind of how the game plays you tough sometimes. No matter where they put you in the order, it seems like, you know, when – when maybe perhaps you're not seeing the ball at your very best, that you're going to come up in these situations. And, and Cam comes up, and I thought this was a huge point in the ball game, and I'm sitting there just wishing, you know, hands over heart, thinking, you know, you know, good Lord, let's just bless this kid here. Let him get a big hit here and let him get going. And um, really good at bat, you know, but we, we swing over the changeup, swing over the breaking ball, so it's an 0-2. We don't chase the – you know, the waste pitch or the purpose pitch, as some people call it. We foul one back, and next thing you know, we've worked the count full. I turned to Garrick Hodge from the Columbus Dispatch, and I said, you know what? If I'm pitching here, I'm not giving in throwing him a fastball. I'm going to throw a breaking ball because I know that at times he struggles to pick pick up spin. But you know what? If I groove a fastball here, it might be a 5-4 ball game because he does have home run power. He is capable of hitting one out of the Hoover Met. If I throw a breaking ball and he doesn't swing at it, I just walked in a run, I'll go get the next guy. So lo and behold, what does he do? He throws a breaking ball out of his own, and we chase it, and the inning is over. And I really felt like that was such a big at bat. And listen, that's not to blame all this on Cam James. I'm a Cam James fan. Because, you know, Logan Tanner is the one. Logan Tanner had a chance to do some things too and didn't do it. And so when I began to look at these, you know, the game within the game, that was the crucial at bat, I thought, that really gave Tennessee the momentum because we had a chance to go right back and answer. We get only the one run. Could have been a really big inning for us. You know, what would it have meant if we're 4-3, 4-4, something like that? But instead, we're 4-1. Josh Hatcher enters the game in place of Luke Hancock at first. And then Christian's doing a good job. Christian settles down. We get a K-swing and a K-swing and we get, we get an infield single. 
And initially they recorded that in error, and I'm, I was incredulous. Like you, you had a diving stop from a kid going to his left into the six hole, makes an incredible diving stop and gets up and one hops it into the dirt, and we just can't dig it out. <laughs> if we do, it's, it's on Sports Center. And they gave that poor kid an error. They did reverse it, give it a hit. That was the right call. But it's, that, that's the thing about scoring baseball. That's a lost art for sure. And then, we, uh, then Christian picks him off. And so it's like, hey, you know, we face the minimum in the inning. Maybe we're okay. We go right back out there, go one, two, three. I guess it's not true. We get a single, and then we ground into the double play. They finally get the, uh, you know, the, 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 the double play started by the first baseman. You know, it's a 3-6 DP there. And then Forsyth flies out. And so, again, we don't get anything going. And you're thinking, okay, Christian, can you just gut this thing out for a couple more innings and just kind of keep us in it and give us a chance to get going? You know, we, we get it. We open the inning with a strikeout. We give up a solo bomb on the first pitch, makes it a 5-1 game. And then we get back-to-back ground outs. And so, even though we gave up the run, you're thinking, okay, we're still within striking distance, but we just couldn't spell the pitcher. We just couldn't get Dallas. Once we, got, once we let him get up off the mat, he did a good job of holding us down. And that goes back to not getting that big, you know, the big hit. You know, that's when you get guys on the ropes, you got to cash in, and we didn't do it. So we go one, two, three there in the fifth. And then we get into uh, – we bring in the fifth. We bring in Will Bednar here. And, again, you know, other than a couple of pitches, I don't think Christian, Christian pitched that poorly. I know everybody's kind of pouring, uh, you know, fuel on the flame there. But you know what? We make a couple plays out there defensively. It may be a little different ball game. And, yeah, he elevated a couple of pitches and he paid for it. I mean, that, that three-run bomb that Drake hits, you know, you're one pitch away from getting out of that inning – after you've walked a guy and hit a guy, all you got to do is just get an out and you leave one up and he takes it all the way out. If you could have that pitch back, it might be a little different day. Maybe. The way our offense is playing, who knows. Uh, Bednar then comes in for the fifth. And when we brought in Will Bednar, my original thought, and I'm sure some of you felt the same way, this is the white flag here. We're just going to try to get Bednar some work. We know there's not going to be a game tomorrow. We know there's not going to be a game on Saturday. This is it. We're going to basically use this as a bullpen and pitch against uh, you know, NCAA tournament quality competition here. That's certainly how it felt. Now, I don't know that anybody would admit that openly, but that's, that's certainly the perception. So Bednar comes in, immediately gives up back-to-back singles. We get a K. Another single, and now it's a 6-1 ball game. We get another K, and then we give up. They have the doubles. They call it a double steal. It was not a double steal. It was an E2. You have a chance to get out of the inning. The runner breaks from first to second. You've got him. And a good – not even a good throw. An average throw gets him. We throw it into the outfield, and the runner scores from, from third, and they call it a double steal. That It's completely wrong. But either way, the run counts. 7-1. And then, of course, we get the guy to pop up. You know, it's just – at that point, you know, it's just a matter of academics. We come up in the sixth. Uh, T.A. with a single to lead off the inning. Hatcher flies out. I actually hit it pretty well. Kim James flies out. The rural singles. So, now we got runners at first and second. Callum Clark's up. We got a chance – you know, we get a big hit here. You know, maybe we get a chance to climb back in this. And then we roll one over and ground out to the second baseman. Bottom of six. We get back-to-back Ks to open it, and we walk a guy. 
give up a single, another single. It's an eight-one ball game. We get a we get a fly out, and again, these walks kill you. That's the thing that's made Bednar so great this year, is he just hadn't really given you much. And when you have taken him deep, it's been a solo home run. I just didn't think that he was sharp today, and that was you know, pretty. That's not just about Will. That's kind of the whole team. So we get into the seventh. We get a ground out, and then we're, we we. Uh, Again, roll over one. We have a great at bat from from Skinner. We don't have anything to show for it. They they lift Dallas, bring in a left hander, and then Rowdy doubles down the line. And again, it's two outs, and it's it's really just one of those things. You know, just like yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad to see Rowdy get a hit here, but um, you know, it's just not a competitive ball game. And then Ta grounds out to the pitcher. Great job by the pitcher. He actually had to range to his right off the mound and kind of pivot back. And and I recognize good baseball, so I tipped the cap to him there. We bring in Stone Simmons to pitch the seventh, and maybe Stone is an option for us on Friday. Who knows? Uh, he gets a one, two, three inning, and so we get to the top of eight. Uh, Logan Tanner works it for a walk, and then Hatcher singles, and actually really barreled the baseball up nicely there. So now you're thinking, okay, we got two men on. The game's gotten away from us, but maybe we can salvage something and feel good about ourselves here later in the ball game. And then Cam James. We ground into a fielder's choice, and they force Hatcher at second, um, and Tanner scores. You know, and so it's an eight-two ball game. We got a runner on, then the Brule grounds into a double play, and so it's eight to two. And you're thinking, okay, I can kind of live with eight to two. You know, maybe we can tack on a run here or there and make the score look a little better, make the game look closer than it really was. But there would be none of that. We bring in Landon Sims. And he gives up three consecutive singles, walks a guy, then it's a double, made an 11-2 ball game. We get a K, and then we give up the single that allows the other run to score, and it is now a 12-2 ball game. And we have been 10-run ruled for the third consecutive time in SEC, SEC tournament play. Now, we have been 10-run ruled before, despite our tradition. That's happened. LSU has 10-run ruled us. Vanny's 10-run ruled us. I think that's right. But, yeah, we've been 10-run rules before. But, you know, it's been three in a row. And it's one in four under Lamonis. And so I don't know if I necessarily offer that as a criticism. It's just more of an observation. I think it's pretty safe to say that Chris has not placed a lot of emphasis on the SEC tournament. We go out there and play OSU back in 2019, and I think we felt like we needed a game to get a game in Hoover to kind of legitimize ourselves as a top eight national seed. We do. We get that big win against LSU, and then we're in a winner's bracket game against Vanderbilt. We get beat one nothing. So now we're in a loser's bracket. We see LSU again, and they 10-run rule us 12-2. Then we show up this week, and we get beat 13-1 and 12-1. So you get beat 25 – or excuse me, 13-2, 12-2, yeah. So we scored three runs. So we get beat 25-3, and we get beat 12-2 the last one. And so, you know – I don't know what to tell you when it comes to this SEC tournament, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be careful how I say this because I don't, I, don't, I don't want people to just kind of run with this and, and, have, and make their own opinions based on my own observations. But I just don't think that we wanted to play. And I don't know if that's just, you know, if we wouldn't have said, hey, listen, we're good. Let's just try to get out of here and be healthy and get in the next weekend. I don't, I don't know what message we sent or what, what we said in the locker room, 
But I didn't think we had any juice all weekend. I don't think anybody played with any emotion. And even when we got a double, there was never these big double celebrations. There was never any life in the team. I thought T.A. played hard. I thought our young shortstop today played really well. You know, I thought he, he went out there and battled a little bit. But outside of that, there's not a lot of people I look at and say, you know what, hey, really went out there and laid it on the line. I just don't feel that way. You know, I think Rowdy plays hard all the time, too. But, you know, we can't just depend on T.A. and Rowdy to go win ball games for us. You know, we've got to have length in the lineup. I do think Kellum Clark is going to be a real weapon for us, and I think that uh, because he is a player of such stature and power, I think he got some attention in the pregame scouting report. And so we got to figure it out. But as bad as these two days were, they're over. We are guaranteed to host a regional. That is 100% going to happen. A little bit later in the show, I'm going to talk about what I think it means long term. But before we get to all that, I want to talk about top 10 list. Brought to you by johnnypacker.com. You are in the market for sunglasses, and if you're not, you should be. And you can find some great ones at johnnypacker.com. A Mississippi company. Get the Hollywood style with some golden triangle flair. A couple Bulldogs running the show here. And uh, one of the things that uh, that John shared with me, too, that I want to share with you guys as well, if you are in the Memphis area, you can go by and get some of this stuff taken care of yourself. And many of you are thinking, well, you know, I, I can go online and order, and if you do, you can save 10% by using promo code BONEYARD. But John sends me this message and says, hey, if you live in and around the Collierville or Memphis area, you can stop at the Collierville Vision Center. Brandon runs a show up there. It's the Collierville Vision Center. Check out all the frames in person. Try them on. Check them out. See how you feel about them. And maybe you don't want to order online. And maybe you're thinking, you know what? I've had bad experiences before, Steve. I bought glasses online. They pinched my nose, and then I got them. I'd already spent all this money. I didn't feel right about them. Go by the Vision Center. Go by Collierville Vision Center and try them on yourself, and you won't have to worry about that. And um, they've got the Johnny Packer eyeglass frames right there, even some that aren't even on the website yet. And as I told you guys before, if you go on the website and it says sold out, don't worry about it. Send them an email. Hit that Contact Us link, and they'll get them for you. Simple as that. Because these glasses are popping, man. And so there's also some blue light glasses that are going to be coming soon. And if you don't know what that is, for those of you like me that stare at a computer all day, this is going to kind of help with some eye strain there. And so uh, we look forward to this uh, for you guys giving these guys a chance. And uh, listen, I've been happy to partner with these guys too. As I've shared with you guys before, the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation is very important to me. I was part of a uh, furniture company, Hollygmeyer's Furniture, for uh, eight and a half years, and we did a huge fundraiser every year. In fact, Hollygmeyer's Furniture was the largest single contributor to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation in the world. And so I had a chance to get to know some of these families, and I understand some of the struggles they, they live with. And, and John, of course, struggles with that too. And he's actually living life and living it more abundantly now because he's you know, found some treatment that's working for him. But because John understands how important this thing is, there's a portion of every purchase of these sunglasses that's going to be directly deposited into the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation, uh, you know, fund. So you're not just getting cool glasses for yourself. You're not just doing business with Bulldogs, but you're, you're going to donate some money to a reliable and wonderful cause. Today's top 10 list, I told you guys, Roy picked a schedule this week. And so that's why we went from, what do we have on Monday? <laughs> I forget. It's like it all runs together after a while. 
Um, we had some rock stuff on Monday, and then we had Whitney Houston on Wednesday. We had Judas Priest. So we go Judas Priest, Whitney Houston, and today we're going with a band that is one of the biggest rock bands. Let's just call them metal. One of the biggest metal bands in the history of the world. They sold over 100 million records. They've had 16 studio albums, 13 live albums, a handful of EPs, and it seems like they release a new DVD once a year. I'm talking about Iron Maiden. Been around since the 1970s. Steve Harris, the leader of the pack. Been three different lead singers, but let's be honest, Iron Maiden and Bruce Dickinson, that's the way to go. Not the legendary producer, Brooke Dickinson of Cowbell fame. But Bruce Dickinson, a singer. And I'll be honest with you guys, this song didn't make the list because it's not an Iron Maiden song. But when Bruce went solo and he had the Tattooed Millionaire song, that song, Tattooed Millionaire, it's a title track off his solo album. It's phenomenal. I love that song. I've heard it's about Nikki Six. So I had a lot of fun putting this list together. Listen to some Iron Maiden on the way home. Listen to it as I prepared for the show. And I'll be honest with you, I was more excited about this than I was talking about these two dog of baseball games that we just talked about. And so I want to go ahead and get to this. I want to share with you guys, too. Many of you, some of you thinking, man, Iron Maiden is too heavy for me. No, they're not. No, they're not. You can say, you know, well, Steve, you know, Iron Maiden has got this expansive catalog. You're probably not going to mention my song, and you're probably right. Because this is my list. I'm eager to hear what you guys think, though. Because one of the things that I've always loved about Iron Maiden, their marketing is everything Kiss wanted to be. And I'm not saying that to be negative about Kiss because Gene Simmons has made a fortune off selling Kiss merchandise. I mean, he would put uh, he'd put the Kiss logo on just about anything to turn a buck. But Iron Maiden always had the best looking album covers, the best shirts. Uh, they had the best, you know, the best stage show. They have the best mascot in Eddie. I have an Eddie tattoo. Uh, it's kind of my take on the Killers album. We did a little bit of a, uh, a change there, but. Um, I'm an Iron Maiden fan, and uh, I think you guys will be too. And a lot of people say, well, Steve, I don't, I don't like that, that kind of heavy metal. I, I just think Iron Maiden is one of those, they're basically a hard rock band. I think they appeal to everybody. I mean, there's a lot of that stuff, you know, with thrash and all that. I get that there's some people that that's not appealing to. But Iron Maiden is one of those bands that I think finds the sweet spot where everybody that enjoys rock music respects Iron Maiden, which is why they still sell out festivals all over the world and maybe sellout is not even the right word because if we're somewhere to stand they'll sell you a ticket but um, if you ever see footage of iron maiden shows man it is like unlike anything else in the world so here's a few uh, honorable mentions because i want to stay in good the good graces of the rock community uh, here are some songs that i didn't put on there it's 2022 acacia drive there is the flight of icarus which was the first big american hit there is uh, The Evil That Men Do. There is Stranger in a Strange Land, which was the second single off the Somewhere in Time album. I love that album. Be Quick or Be Dead or Die With Your Boots On. Those are your honorable mentions. Let's run through the top ten here. Number ten, a song that many of you probably wouldn't wouldn't pick, which is great because if you love Iron Maiden and maybe you're not familiar with some of the more recent albums, this will be a good one for you, but it's Fear of the Dark. Number nine, going back to, uh, I think it was, um, let me think here for a second. It was uh, Coldridge, maybe? Samuel Coleridge, that's who it was, that wrote 
Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, and then Iron Maiden turned it into a song, and it is an epic song. It is an incredible story. It was basically a long-form poem, and they turned it into this. It's absolutely epic. It's like 13 minutes long. So this is going to be a really long Spotify list today. I think you're going to dig it. Number eight, Where Eagles Dare. Man, I love this one. There have been some times in my life it's probably in the top three. And I, and I love Steve Harris's bass line in this. I mean, Steve Harris is a legend, man. I mean, he and Dave Murray have really – they've been the mainstays in this band for years and years and years. But, man, you think about the rhythm that's laid down and then the bass line with Steve. I mean, it's like you – know, I guess they got Nico McBrain – maybe in the mid-80s, early 80s maybe. And so they've had a really good rhythm section for a while. Uh, Number seven, Two Minutes to Midnight. This is another one. Like, even if you don't know the catalog, when you put it on, you're like, man, I I really like this. Where's Iron Maiden been my whole life? Yeah, they've been selling out arenas. Number six, I used to have this T-shirt. I think I was like the only kid in Marion County, Mississippi that had an Iron Maiden shirt at the time. But it's aces high. It's Eddie out there in that fighter plane, making stuff happen, looking all cool. But aces high, great tune. Number five, this is a, another one, a little more recent, but it's Can I Play With Madness? And uh, it's kind of in the middle of the catalog, I guess. You know, this is when uh, Bruce is really, really, really kind of experimenting with his voice a little bit. But I think this is when, this is the good blend of old maiden and kind of new maiden because they're a very innovative band i mean they're true to themselves but they don't try to record the same album over and over again number four and i know many people may consider this their favorite roy says this is his number one but he couldn't argue against my number one but if you've seen the uh the the documentary about the evolution of rock this was on vh1 this was kind of the theme song but it's the trooper I don't think they play this live anymore, which is a shame. Because the trooper, that opening riff, I mean, it's like as soon as you hear it, you know exactly who you're listening to. Number three, and arguably the most controversial song in the catalog, and it's really misunderstood. And you're going to say, Steve, I can't believe you would say that. If you do your research and you read the lyrics, basically, and I've read the interviews with, uh, with Steve Harris, who is the primary lyricist in the band, he had a nightmare after watching the omen you you know talking about with damien you know the omen the old devil possession movies and it freaked him out and he's you know for days and he had this nightmare and then he wrote the number of the beast and so if this is not in any way advocating any of that any of the the occult or anything like that that's not what it's about but there is some imagery on that album that would certainly kind of lead you in that direction. And so there were a lot of people in the beginning when they saw that, they didn't do any research. They just kind of said, hey, this is awful, and we're going to let's burn the records. And then all of a sudden people were worried if they burned the records, that the smoke from the records would get into their bodies and they'd be possessed by demons. I mean, it was wild and crazy stuff. And so then they would just smash them. They would just smash the records like with a hammer or they'd run over them with a steamroller or whatever. It was, it was crazy. But it's Number of the Beast. Uh, number two, and listen, this is really the song that pulled me in and said, you know what, you got to go buy my records. You know, because I had seen Power Slave and I had some friends that had peace of mind. And so I listened to that stuff, 
But this is the song that said, you know what, I need to go buy my first Iron Maiden album. And then I went back and kind of bought some more in the older catalog. But the song that really pulled me in was Wasted Years off the Somewhere in Time album, which I love that album. And I think all of us are like that. Like when you, when you find a new band that you love and all of a sudden you, you make that financial commitment, it's a little different today because everybody gets to go to Apple Music and download a single. But it was a big decision, man, when you're a teenager and you got to go to Bebop Record Shop and you look for like an hour, it seems, and you say, okay, this is what I'm going to go with. So it's a big decision because, you know, we had to cut grass, you know, to make any money. It wasn't like it is for you guys today. You know, man, I grew up in a family, we were as broke as the Ten Commandments, you know, and so when you went and bought an album, it was, there was a lot of research done. It wasn't like, there wasn't an impulse buy. And so I bought this Somewhere in Time album and then I got the liner notes out, and I was absolutely blown away by the lyrics. And you, you heard me mention uh, Stranger in a Strange Land early on. That was one of those ones that, you know, when I had a chance to do a public speech in high school, and uh, you're supposed to, uh, to do a speech about poems or, or a song, and I picked Stranger in a Strange Land from this album. But Wasted Years, that opening riff is absolutely phenomenal when i'm in my car i cannot get the volume up loud enough but it's wasted years and there's such a great message with this song that's the thing too there's so many people iron maiden's been so misunderstood by so many people it's a really cool name of a band that they actually took it from uh the movie um steve harris watched uh, man in a mask i guess and for some reason it kind of reminded him of iron maiden like the the iron maiden torture device and so that kind of became the genesis of all that. But uh, great tune, man. Absolutely love Wasted Years. But number one, and if, you're, if you've been an Iron Maiden fan you know, for more than 10 minutes, you know exactly what number one on my list is going to be, and it's Run to the Hills. And it is, I love the percussion on this. There's not much about this song that I would change at all. I think there are a lot of perfect songs out there. This is one of them. This is Run to the Hills. The vocal on it is just ridiculous. So this was Roy. Roy, this is Roy's week. So next week, I'll be picking off our regular list. And some of you have uh, reached out and shared. And so we're going to get back to that. So I'm going to let I'm gonna let Roy pick a day next week. It'll be Roy Day. And he can pick whatever he wants. And I'll do that. It's Roy Samante, my friend. And then I'm going to pick the other two based off. I may do a Steve Day, and then I'll do one of you. Okay? So... Roy and I will finalize the schedule over the week. And I know you guys enjoy the top 10 list. Everywhere I go, somebody comes up and says, Steve, man, I love the top 10 list. Every so often I'll see some negative comment on Twitter, and I don't even acknowledge that stuff, you know, because there's like one person in 100. But I go to these places, and, it's, and what's amazing to me is it's these, young, these younger people come up to me and say, Steve, man, I've always heard of these bands, but I've never really listened to them. And so I give Roy a lot of credit for putting a Spotify list out there. And said, man, you've turned me on to so much music that I've heard about. My parents talked about it. My dad was a rocker back in the day. And so I recently I had somebody said, you know what? My, you know, my dad listened to all that 80s metal like you. And so he said that they, were, they went to work out. And on the way to the gym, he's just playing his playlist. And his dad's like, hey, when did you start listening to Rat? When did you start listening to Motley Crue? And he goes, oh, I got that from the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. And so then we picked up a new listener to the Boneyard. So, hey, Dad, thanks for listening in. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. I'm on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. Might just use your list. 
And if you and if you ask me for one that I've already done, I'll do my best to send you the list. How about that? I'm, I'm pretty good about that. I would say I'm probably 95% successful getting those lists back to you. So there you go. There's your Iron Maiden list. Next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark. Stan and Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie. Matter of fact, Stan and Man was on my Facebook tonight commenting on my Facebook stuff, man. Stan's friend. Stan's also a big baseball guy, so Stan understands what's at stake. You guys need to outfit your family with new Mississippi State merchandise. Because here's the thing. This is a lifelong commitment, right? This is not just as simple as, well, I went to school there. No, no, no. You're a Bulldog for life. The regional's coming up next weekend. You got time to go ahead and order some gear and have it delivered before you get here. Or maybe you're having a watch party at your house. You need to have some new M over S threads for that watch party. Don't don't dig out that maroon is all that matters shirt. Don't do that. Don't do it. Don't go pull out your 1996 Final Four t-shirt and wear that. No, we're not doing that. Don't even go get your 2019 College World Series shirt out. No. Get something new. Go to campusbookmart.net today. Order something for the whole family because we all deserve it, right? Matter of fact, buy me something too while you're there. And we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. So after we lost these two ball games, you know, I won't say that I was despondent or anything like that. I mean, I wasn't walking around Hoover, you know, with my, you know, you know, with my jaw in my lap or anything. You know, I was disappointed. But uh, I talked to a few people, and I won't name them, but I talked to a few people that have some knowledge of the process. Let's just say that. And both of them felt that Mississippi State would still be a top eight national seed despite what happened in Hoover. They think the body of work is strong enough to support that. The one team that everybody's watching is Stanford. Now, Stanford's several spots back from us. And there are a lot of people that are commenting on the top eight stuff that don't really understand the selection committee process and all that. And it's like I had somebody try to tell me that, you know, Florida should be a top eight. No, no, they shouldn't. Their RPI is 17. They got swept last weekend by Arkansas just because they won a couple ball games in Hoover. Again, we can't put too much emphasis on a weekend. You know, we got to look at the full body of work. And so, no, Florida has not done enough to be a top eight. And so you look at the teams that are right around you. Stanford is the one that everybody's really watching. And the question still remains is can they do enough, even if they sweep Oregon State, is that enough? You know, they hadn't lost any series in the Pac-12, if memory serves me correctly. And the Pac-12 is pretty good this year. So that's the one we're watching. You know, the hay's in the barn for us. We can't do anything. We, you know, we could probably root for Oregon State, just kind of hope for the best here. But that's the team we're kind of watching that might take our top eight national seat. And we've opened the door to allow that to happen. That's the thing. You go over there and you win one ball game at Hoover, we're not having this discussion. You win that series against Missouri, we're not having this discussion. You win that Sunday ball game against Vanderbilt, we're not having this discussion. But we still finished third in the SEC. And so, again, you, you look at the totality of the resume. 40 regular season wins, 20 in the SEC. You finished third in the SEC standings, tied for second. And so that's not all going to be wiped away with a couple of embarrassing losses in Hoover. As bad as they were, that's not what defined your seasons. Now, of course, you want to be playing your best baseball at the end of the year. 
And, you know, maybe Lamontis feels better about his postseason stock than I do. He knows that process better than we do. But I think it's important to understand that, you know, there's still a, a real possibility that we are a top eight national seed. I'm not going to sit here and tell you today that I believe we certainly will be. I believe it's a very good possibility. We don't need any chaos around us. And there's some, you know, TCU and Texas Tech are playing, and so that's going to be something we kind of monitor too. And, you know, we're in this position because we didn't play well. And we've had plenty of opportunities to kind of remove the, you know, any, any debate about our, you know, validity as a top eight national seed, and we just hadn't done that. And so, again, we are guaranteed to host this weekend. Like, I read some of this stuff on Facebook, and listen, I love you guys to death. But, man, some of y'all, I don't know, I don't know how you do it. I, don't, I mean, and I, I get it. That's why people like me have a job, because a lot of people don't, they don't follow it. It's a, you're a casual fan, and you may love Mississippi State. Maybe not have time to keep up with everything. There are only 16 regional sites. There are only 20 teams still in contention for those 16 sites. We are hosting a regional in Starkville next weekend. That is guaranteed. You can go ahead and write that down. You can go ahead and book your hotel rooms. You can go ahead and take off work, whatever you got to do. We are going to host a regional at Mississippi State next weekend. That's going to happen. Anything beyond that, I can't make any guarantees. Yes, it's very much a possibility, if we advance, that we would host a Super Regional. And we're actually built better for a Super than we are for a regular Regional, to be honest with you. If we get through a Regional and we get the right draw, we should be able to get to Omaha. You know, we get in loser's bracket in a Regional, man, anything could happen. Especially with our pitching. I mean, you just don't ever know. You know, and so... And, and who thought we had said that a month ago? You know, it's just I don't I don't know if just we're just the grind of all this has kind of gotten to us or what. And may, maybe once we cross the finish line now, maybe we'll catch a second wind. But the bottom line is is that we are playing postseason baseball. And we are going to have at least one more weekend at Dirty Noble Field, and then we'll see how things go. Now, even if say for an example we don't get a top eight national seed, let's say we're number nine. And then we're paired up with number eight. Well, if they don't win their regional, then we would host a super because we're one of the approved sites because the eight super regional sites are going to be of the 16. And I, and I have done my best to explain this to people on social media and even some of the people I've explained it to continue to mess it up. So the bottom line is, is if we continue – you know, to win and we advance, that we have a chance to have that second round right here. Now, here's what's going to happen, too. Let's say that the number one seed of Arkansas gets upset in their regional and they don't advance. Well, Fayetteville's an approved hosting site. So there would still be a possibility a super regional could be played in Fayetteville even though Arkansas has been eliminated. They're paired up with the 16. Let's say that's Southern Miss. Not, I'm not sure that it's going to be, but let's just say that it is. And let's say Southern Miss gets upset. Well, then you'd have two teams that cannot host that would play at either Hattiesburg or Fayetteville, and that would be a neutral site type deal. Okay, so that doesn't mean that, hey, if Mississippi State wins the regional and we're a top eight national seed, that it's going to be a round-robin thing where they just kind of pick these sites at random. That's not what's going to happen. Nothing's changed in that part of the process. If you host as a top eight national seed, you win your regional, you host a super. It's as simple as that. And you know what? The way we pitch on the road, it might be better for us to go play on the road. You know what? We got um, 
you know, sweeps at Auburn and A&M. And granted, they're not going to be the same teams we play in a super. But still, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not – I just want to keep playing. You know what I'm saying? That's somebody asked me today, Steve, what if we get paired up with Stanford in a super regional as a Palo Alto? Will you go? And the answer to that question is yes. Yes, I'll go. I say, well, Steve, you know, you've got all this. You know what? This is what we live for. This is the job. This is the gig. And I don't just cover Mississippi State when it's convenient. I don't just cover Mississippi State when they're at home. There are a lot of other people that do. I don't. Mississippi State has played in 32 SEC games, 30 regular season SEC games, and two SEC tournament games. I went to all of them, covered them all, home or away. I believe in order to establish some credibility and to be able to talk to you guys on this show, and not to mention the fact that when you go to road baseball, there is no Zoom call, contrary to the Ole Miss media uh, beat belief. You know, when we go to road baseball – Greg Campbell, your SID for baseball, calls me, and then we put it on speakerphone, and then me and the other reporters that are there, which is generally just me or one other guy, sometimes two, then we record that and we share it among ourselves, and we don't share it with other media entities. If they didn't make the effort to get there and go cover the ball game, we're not going to give them the quotes. You can say, well, Steve, no, no, we're competitors. We're friends, but we're competitors. Why am I going and you spending my money? There is no expense report for me to fill out. When I go on the road, it is paid for by Steve Robertson, Inc. And so if I'm going to go get the hotel, get the hotel, spend the gas money and time to get there, why would I go over there just to be the pool reporter for everybody else? We don't, we don't do it. We don't share it. And so I think it's important to understand, you know, when Mississippi State is playing sports and if you cover Mississippi State – you need to go be where the Bulldogs are. And, and maybe maybe I see the world a little bit differently, but I think, you know, I don't think this Zoom call thing is going to last forever. And there's some people I think are, are putting some, themselves in some bad habits, not just, you know, with Mississippi State, but just around the country. There are a lot of media people that I – there's some friends of mine that we went to some SEC schools, and I said, hey, man, I'm going to be up there this weekend. I'll see you in the press box. Oh, I'm not going. Oh, you're not? No, I'm just going to watch it on TV and do the Zoom call after the ball game. I'm thinking, you know what? There's nothing like being there. Why wouldn't you want to be there? And they're like, well, I can still get my story done from here. Yeah, maybe so. I just see it a little bit differently. I do. And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. It means a lot to me to be able to say, you know what, I was the only one that went. I went to Columbia, South Carolina, and Ben Portnoy was there. Ben wasn't covering for us. Theo DeRosa was there. He went and stayed with Ben, hung out for a while. But he wasn't there on the last day. You know, there's been a couple guys that have gone for a day. And I don't say this to be negative about them. I'm just, I'm just saying to you, if we cover Mississippi State, this is what we're supposed to do. you got to get in the car and go. At the end of the day, too, I'm kind of glad they don't all go because I like having sometimes some one-on-one and some ex- exclusive type stuff. Matter of fact, I interviewed Rowdy Jordan a couple days ago. One-on-one posted it on Gene's page as a free story. The conversation with Rowdy Jordan. Go check it out if you didn't. That kind of stuff's important to me. You start getting on this hamster wheel of media coverage, and it's like, well, you know, well, we got to preview the game, we got to cover the game, and we got to post our reaction to the game. And then everybody's writing the same article. You know, we're, we're going to sit here and ask you to subscribe and solicit Gene's page and come even read our free content on our Facebook page, and we got the same story everybody else does? Nah, that's not going to work, man. you got to have some credibility. And I also know this, too. 
And I believe this in my heart. Mississippi State goes to Omaha. And they got to start making some tough decisions about who can and can't go, who can and can't be credentialed. I don't have to worry about that. Because I've put in the work. I've covered the team. And so let's say for an example, because you know, that, that was a discussion before, is that you know Omaha may limit the media, the press box, to 50% capacity. Well, in that case, there's only going to be a handful of spots for each school. Well, I don't worry about that. Because I believe I've earned that right. And so, yeah, I'm going to go cover the Bulldogs. And you know what? If we end up going to Palo Alto and we win a Super Regional, I might just go ahead and go to Omaha. I might drive to Stanford, cover the ball games, and then just go on over to Omaha. Maybe I'll camp out for a few days and get to know the city. Maybe I'll go by Lincoln and uh, get a tour of the facilities there at, uh, in Nebraska. You know, I love getting out and going. I do. It's not just – going to the ball game i love the journey and I, I hope you guys do too i know many of you guys like you're always in a hurry to get somewhere and i get it but you know it's like when uh i guess when i drove to uh, clemson and I, I got to pass that big giant peach out there i guess it's on 75 maybe outside of atlanta right when you get ready to cross over to south carolina that big old peach. i mean when, when else when i've seen that you know that's the kind of stuff that excites me it's like you know what i i know right where that is so I say all that to say this, is that um, wherever Mississippi State goes for baseball, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be able to give you guys some insight. It's not available anywhere else because I'm going to be able to talk to coaches and players while we're there, and other people aren't. So we're going to make the effort. We're going to do it for you guys to help the Boneyard listener and a Gene Spade subscriber. I just believe you've got to have some credibility in what you do. I take a lot of pride in what we do. You know, years ago, I wanted to be a professional writer. And it didn't work out for me because, you know, I got, I got married and we started having kids. And uh, I had to do what I had to do until I could do what I wanted to do. And then I, then I just kind of rode on the side a little bit. I wanted to be a writer. And once I became a writer, I wanted to be a sports writer. And then I wanted to be a Mississippi State writer. And then once I became that, I wanted to be the Mississippi State writer. And I'll let you guys decide if I've done that or not. But this is my dream. This is what I've always wanted to do, is to cover Mississippi State. To me, there's no better job. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Win or lose, I get to do what I always wanted to do, and there are very few people in the world that can say that. And so I thank all of you for allowing me to do that. Somebody sent me the picture over the weekend of uh, Brooks Bryan Robert at home run against Washington. It is not the most majestic picture to be honest with you. But, man, what a memory that is for all of us. And Brooks Bryan caught that ball, and Brooks Bryan now not doing something else to kind of save the game for Mississippi State people. Part of this great group it has got this wonderful residential development that is, that is the place now in Starkville. It's Portico. Phase one complete. Just about every house has been purchased. I think there's two left. I think that's right, two uh, phase two construction begins soon. Very easy to get to. You come off 82 on a 12 like you're going to campus, the very first right. That becomes Garrett Road. It takes you right to Portico. Contact your real estate agent today to kind of set up a visit. But you know what? If you need some more information, maybe you need some boots on the ground. Maybe you're not sure who to call, how to handle all this stuff. Brooks is the guy. You got two-bedroom, two-bedroom house, four-bedroom, four-bedroom Four bathroom bedroom, excuse me, goodness gracious. 
But it's one of those deals, too, whether it's your primary residence or maybe it's your, your weekend getaway to come to ball games, or maybe it's an investment property for you, this is the place to be. It's Portico, that great walking trail, great neighborhood, and uh, getting a lot of reviews, too, man. You know, talking uh, to Brooks, man, people are just tickled to death. To number one, live in Starkville, but also, too, you know, a lot of times you, you, when you move, you, you kind of make a little bit of a gamble because you just don't know. You know what I mean? Like, how old is a neighborhood? Is a neighborhood changing here? What's happening to property values? And you get a chance to go into a place that's got brand new construction. A lot of families in there, man. It's absolutely the way to go. Uh, give Brooks a call today to get more information. It's 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. You'd be glad you did. Make Portico your next move. You guys know I've been clean and sober for a long time now, so I'm going to be your sponsor here for a few minutes, whether you want me to be or not. So what you do with your life is your business. But let me just encourage you to do this here. So if you remember, you know, we had that bad weekend against Arkansas. And uh, it really smacked us all in the mouth and it said, you know what, maybe we're not as good as we thought and certainly not as good as we hoped. And there were many of you that were ready to give up on a season. Wasn't the right decision, but many of you were. After we got punched in the mouth by Arkansas, we swept Kentucky. We went on the road and we swept Auburn. We came home and we took two out of three from Ole Miss. And we won every midweek game in the middle of all that. So we went on a pretty good tear there. We go to Vanderbilt, we're improving as a team. We get beat 6-2, we win 7-4, we get beat 7-4. All those games are competitive, bowled down just a couple of hits here and there. So we were improving. We, we let them off the hook. But we bounced back from that, and we went and swept Texas A&M. Then we went and took two out of three from South Carolina and should have swept them. And then we had the debacle with Missouri. And then we go on the road and we sweep Alabama, a team that's fighting for their season. And so I say that to say this, is every time that we have been punched in the mouth, we have responded favorably. Now, I'm tired of getting punched in the mouth. But I'm glad that when we do, we'll hit back. And so not only have we been punched in the mouth, we've been knocked down and bloodied and had dirt kicked in our face and they've, you know, short-sheeted our beds and sweat our tires and try to dance with our girlfriends and all that good stuff too. It's embarrassing, man. It is. I share that with you. But I do have some faith in Tanner Allen. I do have some faith in Rowdy Jordan. I got some faith in Riley Self. He's not playing, but Riley's still very plugged into the team. Those guys have been to Omaha multiple times. Those guys understand what it takes to get your mind right for NCAA regional play. Now, I'm not going to make excuses for anybody. But I think sometimes, you know, the grind of the expectations, the weight of the expectations. We're in the middle of an SEC race, and you know what? We weren't tough enough to win it. You know, we go to the SEC tournament, and we just kind of, okay, we'll go up there and play. And listen, we're a top eight national seed, and we have somebody come up there and just punch us right in the back of the neck. And so that's happened. And so, like Rowdy said in postgame, you know, you just got to tell these young guys it's not the end of the world. But you know what? If we don't go play well next weekend, it will be the end of the year. But I have a lot of faith in those guys because they know what it takes. And to be fair, 
those guys have never really been in the SEC race. And so they didn't know how to finish. That's T.A. and Rowdy, too. They've never been in that deal. Now, we've been kind of in the mix. But, you know, back in 19, everybody was chasing Vanderbilt. We've never been in it with two weekends to play, controlling our own destiny. And so I think that was a new experience for them, and we didn't handle it well. But this whole NCAA regional thing, we've done that. We've done that, and we've been successful at it both times. And so we know what that takes. That's not a new experience for us. We've been to Supers four straight seasons. That's not a new experience for us. We've been to Omaha back-to-back years. That's not a new experience for us. T.A. and Rowdy and those guys, they know what that feels like. They know the intensity that requires. For many of these guys, this is their first run through the SEC. And listen, I put it on Twitter, and of course, it's incredible what you can put on Twitter and the reaction you get. Tanner Allen's 1-5 in in Hoover in his career, 1-5. in But yet he's been to Omaha twice. And so, yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say Hoover doesn't matter. But you know what? It's really not that big a deal. The bigger part of it is not losing. The bigger part of it is the embarrassment. And that's the thing that concerns me is, you know, we go out there, our body language wasn't good. It's like we wanted to be anywhere but there. And maybe we saw the SEC tournament as a necessary evil. Maybe that's the case. But that's behind us now. So now we've got to go win this regional. We've got to go find us a third starter. We've got to figure out how we're going to do the pitching rotation. We've got to have a good week of practice. And then we'll figure it out. And we'll know Monday if we're a top eight national seed. We will. You know, my belief today is we probably are number eight. Come Monday, that could be different, though. Depends on what happens in the weekend. You know, we need some RPI things to go our way. Now, we're going to have some love in the room, obviously. You know, we've been a good team all year long. We go on the road and play uh, that group at Arlington. You know, we scheduled teams like Tulane that we expected to be in the tournament. You know, we were out there playing teams that we thought would make us better. There's some other people out there playing Dixie State, right, Arizona? Dixie State, and they won 4-2 to tonight. Goodness gracious. So, we'll see how things play out. But I just encourage you to, you know, listen, us, us walking around and talking like Ole Miss fans aren't going to help us. You know, I'm not even going to – I'm probably not going to watch the SEC tournament the rest of the weekend. I watched Arkansas and Vanderbilt tonight. I didn't even talk about all that on the show today because, you know what, my focus is Mississippi State baseball. And so my hope is, you know, let's get through this. I'm going to get some stuff down around the house this weekend. And then uh, I'm going to get ready for that selection show. And then we'll know the regional host sites on Sunday night. And then we'll get, the, uh, we'll get the, the, the whole tournament field on Monday. So we'll find out. Maybe some things leak out. I don't know. They keep that stuff pretty tight lip, but we'll see. But no matter what they say on a selection show, we're going to have baseball at Duty Noble Field next weekend. So let's just kind of focus on one step at a time. We can't get to Omaha in game one, right? We got to go win this regional. And then we got a super regional to win. So we need to kind of let, put Omaha on the back burner right now and focus on what we can do today to get there. All right, before we get out of here, let me remind you, too, if you hadn't done so, go to Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or Books and Megan, and you can pre-order my newest book, Blooms of Oleander, my first book of poetry. And, yes, it's a bit of a risk, but you know what? I don't care about being judged. I mean, I, I don't. It doesn't. I've had people say, I'm so glad you're doing that. Well, thanks for saying that. 
but I'm the constant creator. And, uh, you know, what does it, what does it do? Like the old, the old gospel song, you know, about this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That's me. I'm not going to hide it under a bushel. I don't do, I, I lived that way for many, many years. And then I, I became my true and authentic self. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to live that way anymore. I'm not going to live ashamed. I'm not going to live embarrassed or worried about what people will say or what they'll do or how they react. Because at the end of the day, in order for your opinion to bother me, I'd have to value your opinion. And so the people that have, there's some people that are never going to like me and I'm okay with that. There's some people that I'm never going to like. But I encourage you to go out. It's a, it's a book I work very hard on. It won't be the last one either. It won't, I, I'm going to do another one. I'm already working on some stuff now. But I'm fixing to kind of put that on pause, and we're going to start getting some things together for uh, some things I can't really talk about yet. And then we're going to start working on the next Mississippi State book. So that'll happen sooner rather than later. If you're looking for the previous books, you need to go ahead and get up to date. Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs, all available through alphadogsthebook.com. You get personalized copies. Father's Day is coming up. Don't wait. And some of you guys have already reached out and began to order and that sort of stuff, and we're happy to do it. And uh, so your dad probably maybe has read one or two of my books. Go ahead and complete the set. Go ahead and get that taken care of. Alphadogsbook.com. And maybe he needs a Stark Villains hoodie or a Stark Villains T-shirt. You can get that at StarkVillains.com. All right, I'm going to get out of here. You guys got another long show for me, and I'll be honest with you, when I sat down here, I was wondering if I could even make it an hour because I'm a little emotionally exhausted uh, from, from having my tail whipped for a couple of days over in Hoover. You know how it is. They may be the ones on the field, but, uh, you know, we take a little bit of that beating with them, right, because we love them. So I'll be back with you guys on Monday, and by that time we'll have a pretty good idea of how things look. But um, I don't know if we'll have the, the – the, I'll wait and see – what the seating looks like because i think we'll probably wait and record the show after that so probably won't have a show for you guys first thing monday morning i'll wait until the field is announced and we'll break that down and and look forward to doing that i'd hate to record the show and then not have enough substance to it so we'll wait and do that on monday so look forward to doing that but you guys have a great weekend and until then let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at grammarly.com podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.